Ladies and gentlemen, Off the X Podcast Season 2. We are back this season. We're sponsored by Liberty Risk. Liberty Risk provides apparel to those who are patriotic through a highly ethical journey with an authentic voice, helping them to feel nostalgic and to be more connected. Liberty Risk, we go above and beyond. As mentioned, second season, here we go. This season we have a number of changes, a number of good things. We have DS special agents, we have security contractors. I'm going to add on DEA agents who have worked with diplomatic security both overseas and domestically. I have an assistant United States attorney coming on, uh, and hopefully we'll pick up some more guests looking like FBI probably, and we'll kind of you know play it by ear. On this episode of the podcast, I have on Adrian Diaz, AD. AD and I go way back. He is a former Coast Guard officer. He's been he is an active duty special agent with the Diplomatic Security Service. He's been on for 17 years, and I'll let him tell you his story off the X Podcast Season 2. Let's go! Let's talk about the beginning, man. So we met in a place called Nassau, Bahamas, which <laughs> I don't tell uh, a lot of people about because as a Marine – uh, you know, not, not a lot of Marines get that assignment and there's probably a lot of shit talk that I'd got it. Um, but, uh, you were in the Coast Guard. I was an MSG and I think I remember you had applied to DEA and to DS, right? That's right, that man. Time. That's right. So, uh, I guess walk me a little bit, uh, you know, what attracted you to DS? Why'd you come on with DS? Um, I don't it was a good interaction I had with the RSO because, you know, as RSOs, uh, ARSOs responsible for like the background program. Right. So we're, we're doing all these background checks and we're submitting stuff to uh, the, you know, I guess the background coordinator at, at DS will forward it over to whoever, you know, for adjudication. And so, um, you know, Andrew Robleski, God bless him, man, like awesome, awesome agent, man. If you ever have a chance, you know, I think he'd be a great addition to the program. Um, but he sat down with me and he's like, Hey man, um, I see you going through this. Have you looked at any other government agency? I'm like, yeah, I've looked at a few. And again, I'd never heard of DS. And so he, he kind of sat me down and said, look, I want you to read this book. I want you to watch this video. Um, I guess they had the, the, uh, they had like a documentary, uh, you know, all the old school, you know, DS agents, which was really, really well done. And so I, I watched the video and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. So I sat down with him and we just talked for a while. And so between he and um, another era, so that was there, Mike Malamud, really great agents, man, like kind of took me along, just sat me down and said, hey, look, <clears throat> and funny story, he looks at me, man, is like, hey, man, at 40, 45 years old, do you want to be chasing some drug dealers in the Bronx? Or, you know, do you want to be somewhere overseas, like seeing something you had never seen before? And like really like doing something really cool for the U.S. government. And I was like, hmm, you know, like that light bulb goes off in your head and you're like, OK. And so as luck would have it, I applied, you know, I bexed, uh, passed, got in, you know, DEA called shortly after. And I just said, you know what, I'm here. I want to go this route. And so here I am. Yeah, Andrew's name has come up a couple times in these podcasts, and he's a supporter. He listens, or he has listened, and you know I have a great relationship with with Andrew. He thanks, was, Andrew. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks, Andrew. Same here, man. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, right? Like it was yeah. me, you, right? Because he also talked to you too, as well, man. Yeah. Like, he, you know what? Like, awesome, awesome, awesome man. So I, I really appreciate him, man. 
Yeah. Yeah, same here. So when did you uh what year did you join? Uh tell us a little about when you started and uh how was training back then? I mean, I think you're a few years ahead of me. Uh you guys are still done lowering and then doing uh the racetrack out there in West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I came on uh exactly in January two thousand four. Okay. And so um it was great, man. Like it was it wasn't all like like it wasn't what you expected. Like you you show up, you go to FSI. I think we did it like a few weeks there. Um, and they had like this like great ritual, like flag day, where you like kind of waiting in the wind, you know, we're all pins and needles. Like, but I, I think we all had an idea where we, where we wanted to go. So as luck, you know, luck would have it. <clears throat> I got sent to New York. Um, I'm a New Yorker, um, but I was, you know, down in DC. So it didn't, uh, you know, it worked out for me. And then from there, we would go down to Fletzy, you know, to do uh, CITP. And then from there, we would come back up to DSTC. And at that time, <clears throat> you know, we were down at, at the farmhouse, you know, doing the racetrack stuff and kind of shuttling back and forth. And so, you know, I, after graduation completion in August of 2004, I went right to the New York field office and started from there. Yeah, I think it was the same then when we came in. The, the mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things unique about DS, but that, three-week uh, introductory period to the State Department in which you're not with just special agents or law enforcement. Right. You're with anyone and everyone, facilities managers, general services officers, political officers, you name it. Absolutely. Everybody all starting off at that same. I think I think that's great, you know, because you can kind of get you like a wide-eyed, like, wow, this is what the department is really like. And so you can kind of see it. It does kind of set a tone, doesn't it? Like that, hey, this is mm-hmm. not just straight – law enforcement right it's it's yep. it's there's, there's a lot of other elements there in play here um and you do work with these people when you go overseas you know um, absolutely and absolutely it's a ds agent you have and, to and some of these people and you're right some of these people become like good friends man so i mean you know lifelong you know friends and colleagues that like you said either will work with work for you know yep so yes yeah, so i often tell people uh uh when we talk about ds people I'm mentoring or reach out uh, due to the podcast or YouTube videos, you name it. Uh, they ask, what's the best field office? And, you know, I went to Houston and <laughs> I always say New York. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you both, man. I mean, New York. I mean, listen, at that time, it was such like the camaraderie, the leadership. I mean, I don't know any other field offices. You know, so that's pretty much all I know. And I'm a New Yorker. And I had family that w- that was in law enforcement because you know my dad was in NYPD, um, my mom you know was working out of the prosecutor's office. So to be able to go back and start my first tour in New York as a federal agent, wow! You know what I mean? Like, so I had a chance to kind of work some of my cases like in the Bronx and go visit these places that I saw as a kid growing up, you know, cause my dad would sometimes bring me down to, to, to the squad and we'd sit down and, you know, either have lunch or just sit down and kind of kick it for a minute. And so I got a chance to go back and see some of his old partners. And one of them actually took me out when we were doing like a knock and talk and it was pretty cool, man. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, it was a riot. Yeah. Everyone, uh, I've met that serve New York, no matter where they're from in America, they can be from the border of Texas or, you know, Northwest, Pacific Northwest, you name it. And they loved being in the field office. And it sounds like you guys can do a little bit of everything and, and, and your cases matter. You know, there's some cases, some places uh, at, at some offices where you're just closing cases to make numbers and 
those cases matter. And I had that experience in Houston. I didn't, we didn't do nearly as much protection, but I, I did have the opportunity to work some good, good cases and, yeah, and travel. We were, we were, it was like an equal amount. It was like a whole bunch of protection and a whole bunch of cases. Yeah. So you were trying to juggle that and TD wise. So, I mean, if we weren't working, we were traveling, if not traveling, you know, we're knocking on doors or, you know, some of us were able to kind of participate in these task forces. You know, I, I was on my, on my second year, I was the uh, agency rep to the U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force down in Chelsea. So I did that, which was wow. You know what I mean? Like first time here I am running the streets with, you know, the U.S. Marshals, NYPD and New York State uh, troopers, man. It was that was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that then, because I, I, I haven't talked to anyone. I don't think I don't recall that was only uh, Marshall's Fugitive Task Force. What's it made up? I mean, it's made up of a bunch of different agencies, right? But uh, tell me a little bit about it. Um, so what it was originally, I think, and and I don't know if I have all these facts correct me, so let me um, uh, just, just say that. But I, when I was there in the Marshall's Regional Fugitive Task Force, it was made up of like DEA, ATF, NYPD, obviously DS, uh, New York State troopers, kind of a little bit of everybody. And so what, what what they would do is, you know, obviously NYPD would bring their own cases and things of that nature. And then the head marshal would group you up. So I just so happened to work on a team that was NYPD and New York State troopers. So we all worked each other's cases. So um, obviously NYPD, they had a little bit more cases than, than we did. So majority of the time we're working their cases, but the few times that we actually had a DS warrant, you know, we were able to, to work cases you know, actually find the subjects, make arrests. And then two back in that day and, and uh, you know, 2004, five timeframe, um, they had access to like, you know, triple I, which is systems or it's NYPD system would give you like the rap sheet, the photo and everything else that we needed. So I'd be able to shoot those back to the field office on demand. So anytime the office needed something, and so, or if the office needed to make a liaison, let's say with DEA, I could walk over to my DEA counterpart and be like, hey, I got a guy here, I want some information, can I put you in touch? Kind of do that. So I'd be like a liaison of sorts. It sounds kind of multifaceted and advantageous in many ways. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I always thought the Marshall's task force, and this is just me being ignorant or naive, but but that you just on a task force, they drop you a bunch of warrants, and you guys just go and get them. And you would think, me being in federal law enforcement, that it wouldn't be uh, like the movies, like I think it is. Uh, but you're <laughs> saying that's not the case. Don't they have a, a, a federal team or a, a national team that does that? Do you know? I don't that I don't know if it is national, but I think they have regional, right? I mean, to to my experiences, things that I've seen. Um, and you know what? Let me stop real quick right here. Um, throughout the interview, everything that I say is primarily my views and my views alone, not necessarily the department. So these are things that I've recalled, I've recollected throughout my 17 years on the job. So any and all views are mine and mine alone. Mine alone. I just want to throw that. Good around. caveat. You guys got that? <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> All right. Powers that be. <laughs> um, so uh, my understanding is I think they had a regional. And so with the regional, they would all talk with each other. I mean, obviously, you know, the marshals are beast, man. I mean, they get out there and they get after everybody who's who has a warrant. And so with that, they've had regional teams. And so they all in, uh, they all interconnect and they talk. 
So with us, we covered New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut. So we were just kind of all within that New York tri-state tri region. And then there were other regional that covered like Maryland, Virginia area. So push come to shove, for me talking to some of these guys, they could work cases wherever. So one of the guys that I worked with in New Jersey worked a case, a fugitive case, a guy killed a cop all the way down in Florida. So he would travel back and forth. I mean, it was it was awesome, dude. I mean, that would be a, a great assignment, you know? Yeah, bet. Sounds like it. What happened after New York? Where'd you go? Um, fortunate, man. I, I went to Monrovia, Liberia. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you know, it was, uh, I was, you know, uh, they say what, hand selected? No, I'm just teasing. It, it was, uh, and I bid on it. And they were like, hey, congratulations, you got it. And then I would tell people, and they'd be like, wow, you're going there? And it wasn't like, it was sort of an amazement. Like, are you ready for that? And I'm like, absolutely. Like, this is what we came on the job for, right? Like, we signed up to go to hard assignments. And so showing up there as a, as a you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kid from the Bronx, man, it was great, dude. I mean, I had a great RSO, you know, great uh, relationship with the front office and great law enforcement relationships, man. Um, you know, we even helped build out the uh, president's protection detail. So it was, it was cool. Okay. What, uh, well, let's talk about that. Let's sit on, cause I, I don't think I've had a guest that's been in Monrovia. Um, well, where's it located? First off, uh, West Africa, West Africa. Uh, mm -hmm. what's the history behind it? So history behind it, it was founded by freed slaves that, you know, left America and came back and wanted to kind of incorporate, incorporate what they've learned in the U.S. and bring it back to Africa. And so I think Monrovia is named after James Monroe, I believe. Okay. Um, Monroe. And so they call it Monrovia. And so they set up several little towns. And, and I think at, at one point they had a real, like, a great relationship with the USG. And I want to say there was a Coast Guard station there. So I remember in my travels and then looking at, I guess the Coast Guard put like a, um, uh, some sort of, uh, I say plaque, but it was like some sort of stone structure that was there. Um, and so that's what I remember. Maybe I, I don't remember it uh, too well, but that's what, <laughs> that's what I recall, man. And it was such a great place. Um, at one point, and obviously they're you know rebuilding, they're reshaping. Man, uh, some, we met some really great people. We worked with some really good partners that were there. Man, like it was it was a great tour, great first tour because you kind of learned everything you see at all. Tell me, uh, like a day in the life of the ARSO in Monrovia. <laughs> Monrovia. Um. So you know, this is when I think Ellen Sirleaf Johnson, you know spoke to the U S government and then kind of former secretary of state Condoleezza Rice came back and said, Hey, you know, we want to try to best support her as best you can. And then I think we were able, or we, the U S government was able to free up some, some funds and, um, and provided her support. And so they, I guess we went through ATA and so ATA, you know, put together strategy and worked with, I guess the counterterrorism bureau. And so what they realized that in order to help protect her, best thing to do is try to, you know, reshape, reform her, you know, her security division. And so what DS did in conjunction with MSD, I mean, they, you know, taught 
and they trained with ATA and they, and they trained like her secret service of sorts, you know, her diplomatic security service agents. And so they trained like about a hundred, maybe a hundred plus. And they taught them the diamond. They taught them motorcade operations. They taught them protection from soup to nuts. And so these gentlemen were able to come back. And with that, uh, DS, you know, through ATA assigned mentors. And so what, what they did was they took former DS agents and they embedded them with, with the, with the, with the president's uh, security detail and just mentored them on management, on actual protective operations on, you know, what do you do if this guy gets sick or, you know, these SOPs and things of that nature. So I think that was cool just to see that come to play and then, and then actually watch these guys. And then, you know, at, at some point, I think uh, I also helped send a few of them back, you know, for training. And so being able to get them to the plane, get them all this money to work with the mentors that were there. These all mentors were all former DS you know, agents. And so getting a chance to sit down to watch these guys work and then interact them and then interact with them and then hit them up for advice. Like, hey, man, I'm a brand new guy doing this. Like, what are your thoughts on DS? And so it was it was pretty cool, man. I feel like I remember you telling me that or I read that somewhere because uh, I remember the name Ellen Sirleaf Johnson. Um, yep, absolutely. And, uh, and DS being involved and all that. What uh, what kind of threats do you face in Monrovia? Um, it, it was high crime, man. Uh, you know, civil unrest. At any point, I mean, like they'd have like these flash riots. I mean, I remember just a few times being there, and then like you know, I, I don't remember the names of the, the locations, but. Either the price of rice went up too high or the price of gas went kind of nuts. These folks would show up and like mob the streets. And so, I, I mean, there's no way to get around it. So obviously, you know, our, our security contacts would hit us up and say, hey, man, you know, because the U.N. was pretty heavy there. And so they would hit us up and say, hey, man, the streets are closed down. We got heavy U.N. security presence there. You guys should not go to this particular area. And so we would obviously, you know, um, pass that out. Or, you know, within the appropriate channels, make the appropriate notifications and let people know, hey, this is a no-go, you know. And obviously, the counselor would, would put that message out in the warden system, too, as well. Um, but it was it was pretty it was pretty interesting, man, and, 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 and kind of cool to see, like, these particular threats that are there, man. Like, wow, you know. And then, obviously, you know, wrong place at the wrong time, you know, or. I think at one point we had like a, a burglar break into a chief of mission residence or something like that. And so, you know, just, you know, just kind of a little bit of everything. Yeah. What, uh, was something specific going on in the country at that time uh, at, at, in, in Monrovia? Was there a new election? You know, how sometimes these countries will have, Earl, they might have been. Ellen Sonny Johnson, just okay. newly elected. Man. So she was newly elected. She was newly elected. And elected. what was happening prior to her election? Cause it was controversial, right? Wasn't there. Um, it was what, yeah. So what it was, was, you know, Charles Taylor, former president. That's the name I'm looking uh, for. Go ahead. You know, committed several, you know, human rights violations, excuse me, uh, was alleged to commit several human rights violations. I don't know if he was convicted or not, but I, I think he was in, in trial or standing trial at the Hague. So he was alleged. And so, um, the country kind of delved into like a civil war, man. So there was fighting. You had these rebels in the streets, child soldiers. It was a straight war zone. So with that, you know, I, I think uh, U.S. government, obviously, we, we definitely have to protect our equities. Um, you know, your brother in the Marines came in and kind of helped fortify and set things up, you know, making sure that we were safe. Um, and this is be right before I got there. And so all this was there. And then this kind of went away. 
Um, and then they started the election process. Ellen Sirleaf got elected and then I show up and then I'm like, okay, you know, so the RSO is like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to help, you know, these mentors get on the ground, you know, things of that nature. And so, man, that was a controversy, man. And so it was, it was, it was definitely an eye opener. I think that's I, what I was getting th- at is, uh, I, I didn't know the history too well, obviously, but, uh, I, I felt like there was a dictatorial regime previously and this was one of their first democratic elections. And so that's Absolutely. why it was so important. And the, the U S government, uh, I'm thinking strategically is, Hey, we want democracy around the world. And uh, this might be uh, another. I was mentioning, I mean, she was also a great candidate too, you know? So I think she's the first female democratically elected president of a country. I mean, I mean, that's just great. You know, um, as far as, as far as I know, I mean, she was pretty well, well liked, you know, um, you know, she worked tirelessly, you know, for her country. So, I mean, what's what's not to like to partner with that? You know, me personally, I mean, I, yeah. I'm not really too sure what this, you know, uh, what the you know, U.S. government's interest was, but just you know, from being there on the ground, looking at it from my point of view, I was like, wow, this is this is cool, you know? Yeah, that's good, man. Okay, so you did what two years there? Two years there, and then uh, from there, uh, came back to the New York field office. Um, and then from there, uh, I was able to, uh, as, as luck would have it, an opening came over, um, over on the U S ambassadors detail. And so at that point I was the agent in charge for, uh, former, uh, U S ambassadors, United Nations, uh, uh, Susan Rice. And so I, I worked her detail for about a year, maybe about 14, 14 months. What year was that? Uh, I want to say it was 2009 to 2010 because I, I came back to the field office in 2008 and obviously, you know, checked in, you know, kind of you know, working some cases, you know, doing doing protection. And then the former AIC was like, hey, I'm leaving them out. And so, you know, powers that be said, hey, hey you know, uh, you know, hey, you're 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 three. Do you do you want to go be the AIC? I'm like, yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, protection. And working over at the UN after just coming from you know Liberia, where there's a huge UN presence, you know, it, it was an opportunity to, you know, be the agent in charge of the security detail for you know Susan Rice who was a cabinet level posting. Yeah, man, I, I jumped all over that. Yeah, that's a big deal. Uh, uh, so at that time, it wasn't a biddable position, right? No, no, because it, it was it was a TDY. It was a TDY that was covered out of the field office, so it wasn't. I, now it is biddable, but back then it was just, hey, you know, the field office covered it. And then it just it got stretched out from so before AICs did every six months. And so then it got became a year and then DP took it over. And now I think it's like a two year job. OK, I think I pinged you back in the day uh, to ask you about it because I, I was considering bidding on it. I forget where I, mm-hmm. probably after my first Iraq tour, I was considering bidding on it. Uh, and I think because it's a biddable position, there's some extra bennies associated with it. You know, uh, I mean, you, you're working out of the UN, dude. I mean, and you're traveling. I mean, you're you're there with you know the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Man, that's a that's pretty heavy. I always had fun, you know, being at the UN, working UNGA, uh, or Absolutely. even we, you know, we'd fly up there for you name it. Uh, uh, Pakistani uh, foreign minister was up there on his whatever mm-hmm. time, and we'd go in and out of the UN. I, I enjoyed that environment. I enjoyed being around, you know global politics and everything i thought it was really interesting yeah man really really good security professionals that were there man like top notch you know would definitely do whatever they could to help you out man so 
Really, really great experience. Yeah, good. All right. What's next? Uh, Iraq, man. So there I um, been on Iraq, uh, went down to a, a provincial reconstruction team, like a PRT, you know, um, down to Lille in the south. So I did a year there, you know, just and there was kind of most memorable is we would work these long range protection runs. And so sometimes we'd get up like five in the morning, brief at six, you know, the deal out the door by seven. And then we would get back, you know, either right before sundown or just shortly right after, you know. So um, I think we covered three distinct provinces. And obviously, I, I'm definitely going to get these wrong, but I think it was like Dikar, uh, which was Nazaria, which um, I forget that uh, that young lady in, in the uh, army who was captured down in Nazaria. And then I think uh, DOD sent some folks in to, to go get her out. And so that was pretty serious there. And I think uh, Muthana, and then uh, there's another province that we covered. What is down in Talil? Well, I mean, why, why were we there? Because so the way it's set up now, as my understanding is, uh, you know, Baghdad, Erbil, uh, and then Basra. And I think Basra shut down at some point. But what's in Talil? Why, why are we out there? Do you know? I think those those three provinces, man. I mean, they were definitely engagements or I, I can't speak for U.S. government policy, but just from my observation, me being there when we would take these diplomats out, I mean, they would engage with these local leaders within that region. And so it could be anything from oil wells to, you know, re- rebuilding, you know, election polling sites or whatever they were doing. So we were there to kind of help facilitate to get them safely from point A to point B. Um, and man, I mean, those the contractors that we worked with, who you've worked with, salt of the earth. I mean, like these guys are awesome. I mean, they, you know, these guys were the you know walking encyclopedias. Like these guys knew knew the routes, knew the blues and the grays, you know, knew knew all these sites, man. And so they could tell you this thing, like, hey, you know, we're going here. It should take us four hours. Take us six hours to get to one spot. Um, and they knew the lay of the land, man. So um, we were very fortunate. We had a real, real good group of agents and a real good group of contractors that were there. So I always try to highlight the whips guys and girls uh, absolutely uh, when I can. And I've had some on the podcast. I think I think the world of them. Um, absolutely, they are. Uh, you know, they're mentors in many ways. When you come in as mm-hmm. a young new agent, they've been there three, four, five years on the ground, sometimes more. And, you know, I'd always tell that to uh, to aspiring agents, like, listen, listen to the guys on the ground. If you're going to Iraq, you're going to Afghanistan, Pakistan, listen to the guys on the ground. And not just the RSOs that have been there six months. Listen to the guys that have been there seven, eight years. Um, you know, and uh, I, I think that's super important. What uh, what kind of challenges do you face out in Iraq and Talil? I mean, you're away from the flagpole, not just the D.C. flagpole, but the Baghdad flagpole. Uh, what kind of challenges do you face? And well, let me ask you: this. Were you the RSO? Were you the top guy there? And then no, I was an RSO. You're an RSO. Okay. Uh, what kind of challenges do you face working in a post like that? Um, I think really it's interpersonal skills, right? I mean, because if you're not good with speaking with people, and when I mean people, there's a wide you know spectrum of people. I mean, you're dealing with obviously are whips people, right? So if you don't really get good and good with them, or if you really don't have those interpersonal skills, it could be a long year. And then big army was there. So we're on this air force base, um, or uh, yeah, I think it was an air force base. Um, 
but there's a whole bunch of army folks there, you know, who were running the show. And so we had to be able to go and talk to them. And if you couldn't talk that talk, or if you, you know, come in there beating your chest, like I'm the RSO, or I'm the RSO, they're going to look at you like, get out of here. Like you're just a fly in our ointment, man. But, you know, again, we had great relationships with big army and watching those, you know, um, th- those soldiers and sailors and, you know, put their lives online every day out there, man, it was definitely inspiring just to be able to get, get out and kind of see them. Um, and just, you know, for us to take a step back, like, okay, like, you know, we're, we're actually here to do, do some good things. And so, um, I would say inter interpersonal skills. Um, and then two, you know, like being away from the flagpole is good, but being away from the flagpole is bad, you know, cause if, if, if you're one of those folks that, you know, can slough off and maybe not do the right thing all the time. I mean, I mean, obviously we try to, you know, uh, police ourselves accordingly to take care of each other. So it's just, it's, it's a lot, it's a huge responsibility. Yeah. For the record, uh, that approach, uh, uh, pounding your chest, I'm in charge approach never works anywhere. No, um, no, especially no. not in DS, especially not in, uh, we used to call them <laughs> AIP posts, but you know, you have Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, those types of posts. Yeah, man. It's because uh, you know what? There's always somebody that's there is bigger and badder than you. So, I mean, you know, and you you and I both know, I mean, some of our contractors, man, come from some of these tier one units all over the world, man, and have real some really good skills. And they're looking at you. They're sizing you up for a minute. You walk in. Yep. And if you're like, OK, playing it cool, you're cool. But if you come in there beating your chest, it's like, oh, God, I got to deal with you for how long? <laughs> yeah. And you hear it. So, so some DSA just do that, and, and you'll have the guys tell you. I, I mean, I built such a good rapport with them uh, in Baghdad with the with the whips guys that they're like, Cody, we're really having, and they're so respectful about it. Like, we're having a problem with this one guy, and um, we just want you, just lit us your ear. We just want to talk to you, and and of course, I'd always be like, yeah, I'm gonna go talk to that dude, or <laughs> I'm gonna go yeah. talk to someone, you know, because. Uh, you know, I, I think it's just a, a common thing. You treat people with dignity and respect. Like I was, Absolutely. I, I recall a guy at uh, Fob Shield, and we were doing an advance for someone. And so Fob Shield, for people not, that don't know, if I remember correctly, it's been a while, but it's in Baghdad. It's over the river, and it goes into a, a heavily kind of Shia area, uh, Shia Muslim area. It's a little more dangerous. They get rocketed a good bit. Anyway, so I was doing an advance. And uh, this Fulberg Colonel, you know, I'm young, former sergeant. This Fulberg Colonel is there, and and on, uh, and he comes up and he's helping coordinate, and he's serving me this, sir, 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 and of course I'm serving left and right, and no doubt we had it was just such a mutual respect. Like Rankle's at the door, we're just here to do a job, respect each other, and uh, I remember seeing that guy in the compound later, and. Uh, you know, and, and looking out for them because they couldn't always buy everything they wanted there. And we, you know, and we looked out for them or, or you know, no doubt, man. I'm, and I made a, a good relationship with the guy for the year that I was there. And uh, and there was no you know, rank does matter when you're in the military. But, you know, if you just people would do, treat people with dignity and respect and absolutely get, get you a lot further anywhere. Um, so you did a year tour there, right? Yes, sir. OK. Then what? Um and I went to ATA, man. You know, um, I think that was another great tour, man. So after Iraq, you know, um, moved back to DC, you know, started working at ATA for about two years. Um, and, you know, again, another great assignment for me. You know, it was, I was able to uh, be responsible for several anti terrorism assistance programs within like the, you know, 
um, you know, I was responsible for Iraq and then like, you know, all the Arabian, Arabian Peninsula. So that was like, you know, Lebanon, Oman, you know, Saudi Arabia, countries like that, man. So Yemen, you know, so that was, that was, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool assignment. I think I managed something like 6 million bucks, 7 million bucks. And at times, you know, I was responsible for like 12 or something like that. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, budgeting, managing a budget is huge. Even when you're in the application projects, uh, process, if you've managed a budget, you know, you go to overseas, managing a budget. Let me ask you this. If you can, in your own words, uh, explain what ATA does. I did it in a YouTube video. I never worked there. I had many friends that that have. Um, obviously, your own take, not the government's take. Yeah. What does ATA do? <laughs> um, so what they do is they, you know, work with, you know, different countries throughout the world and they, you know, definitely help them with their terrorism problem or their, you know, like transnational criminal organization problem. So, for example, like in Iraq, um, I think we helped train some of their counter-terror units, uh, we, excuse me, some of their counter-terror police units. So I think the main caveat there is that, you know, obviously with DS, you know, we're cops, we're, we're federal agents, we're police. So we, we provide assistance to other countries, law enforcement units that, you know, uh, go after these, you know, really bad people in, in these, or, you know, in, in their parts of the world. So, for instance, um, in Yemen, uh, I, I had a budget. I think I had like a four or five million dollar budget. And so obviously we weren't um, equipping the cops to go after, you know, terrorism units. But I think at that time, one of the strategic mandates that I had was to help build up the presidential protection detail for the incoming president. And so what we're able to do is, you know, obviously work to the regional security office there on the ground, identify, you know, and then they would, you know, work with uh, the ministry and they helped identify something like 90, some, some candidates, which obviously we had to have vetted for Leahy. And then we sent them over to our training center in, in Amman, Amman, Jordan, and we showed them these same principled techniques that we trained the Liberian president's people. And so I think we equipped something like 96 people within the span of three months. That was pretty fast. And so, um, which remind me, because my next assignment, you know, one of these same people that we that, that we trained, I would meet at another location, which would, I think would be a pretty good, pretty cool story for you. So we train the president's bodyguards, or excuse me, president's you know protection detail uh, in Yemen and you know in Iraq. I mean, we we would train up some of their EOD folks, or we would train some of their crisis response units. Um, Lebanon, I think I, I built some dog kennels, stuff like that for, for one of their uh, premier units there, premier police units. And so um, it's just the U.S. government equipping and training, you know, uh, host country partner nations, you know, training their forces to kind of go after some of these bad folks, man. So it's it's kind of I, I wish they would you know publicize and put that out more because I, I think the ATA office, man, is, you know, one of the one of the best kept secrets within DS. What was your role as specifically as a DS agent? Like you're not going out training them, right? You're overseeing. No, so I was a program manager, okay. right? So, um, so they would take agents and put them in certain programs. So my job was to cover like the you know, um, uh, you know, certain regions. So I, I covered Iraq, the Arabian Peninsula, which incorporated those several different countries, and so I would get budgets 
for each one of these countries. And so I would have to work through our branch chief with the Bureau of Counterterrorism to figure out, okay, I've got this big manual of training. You know, what are my left and right lateral limits? And so they would say, okay, you could do strategic objective one. And then under one, it would have, if it was, you know, build up their, you know, managerial skills. And so they would have like a listing of all these managerial classes that I can throw out. And so I would just take those, work with the RSO and say, hey, look, you know, CT, you know, AT management have agreed on strategic objective one. I've got this list of courses. Do you want this? And sometimes they'll say, nah, you know, we don't want this. We want kind of all the, you know, all the cool stuff with all the flashbangs and the, and, and the weapons. And so then I have to kind of work back and forth to say, mm, you know what, either post really can't support this. They really want to go with this and to try to do that medium or if not, I mean, a lot of times it was set in stone. So I could say, no, CT is not going to budge on this or AT management won't budge on this. We have to go here. And so, um, you know, obviously, you know, work with the RSO to try to get more justification, things of that nature to get those real, you know, cool guy, you know, ca- you know, uh, crisis response, which is like their SWAT team level courses, the EOD courses, the dogs, you know, the you know presidential protection training units and stuff like that that we would do. But my job was just to, you know, manage the budget. And also um, ATA had its own uh, network where uh, I forget what it was called. I think it was GAD at the time. So I would say, okay, I want these four classes. I would schedule them and then they would ATA would then subcontract out to three different contractors, three or four different contractors. And they would say, okay, I've got your subject matter experts here to do this course at this course. Then they would set up a huge list of all the courses and whatever dates that I have to go through. So, so yeah, basically your instructors, yeah. So your instructors were contractors that were subject matter experts and would get sent out is what I was getting at. I, I've heard of Gata. I've actually uh, put on a resume with them years ago after I got a DS and I was on there. Uh, they pinged me a couple times. I couldn't go. Uh, I forget what it was for. It was like probably uh, like fraud, some type of fraud stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, cool. ATA. Um, after ATA, where are we headed? I went to the Office of Mobile Security Deployments, man. Uh-oh. You're going to have to talk about MSD now because – talk about it. Uh <laughs> I can't tell you. And I was like this too when I first came in, that, you know, being a former Marine, it's like, I want to go to MSD. Um, but a I've lot there, of people, <laughs> a lot of people ping me about MSD. And I, and, okay. you know, and I opened that I've never been to MSD. I, I did an internship. Uh, and then I have a bunch of close friends like yourself that have been there. Uh, so tell me a little bit about it. The training, uh, uh, what you can, obviously, not. Uh, Get into any OPSEC issues, but the, the training, the training timeline, and then what you guys get into. I, I did have uh, John Fluker on. Um, and he was an MSD ah. back in the day. He John and I were in New York together, man. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's out in Texas right now. I just pinged him a couple of days ago. What's up, John? Um, yeah, I tell him you say hi. But uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about it from your word. Um, I guess the the shorter bridge version is. MSD is the Department of State's 911 button. So obviously, you know, crisis in Yemen, crisis in Juba, crisis in Bangui, sorts like that. They would jettison, you know, five guys, 10 guys, 15 guys to go out. And basically you're going to support the regional security office. Either you're going to prep for a NEO, which is like a non, non-combatant evacuation. 
Um, you're going to prep for maybe compound defense in, in the event, you know, some combatants or, or, or some uh, or some folks try to overrun the embassy. I try to prevent like a Benghazi situation. Um, but while you're doing that, you're training local guard force, you're training the local bodyguards. I mean, you're sort of like a Swiss Army knife of sorts. You know what I mean? So depending on how many guys, I mean, typically my team, I think we rolled like five guys. And so we would show up, um, obviously, and we were, you know, um, supplemented a lot of times by operational medicine. You know, uh, Doc Walters and, and his folks, phenomenal group of, of, of folks, man. These are all former tier one guys that came over and, you know, work for Doc Walters and, and supplement our teams. And so imagine, I mean, you're having like a, a PJ or an 18 Delta type you know, attached to your team to go out and, you know, provide, you know, like this, you know, five or six man, you know, element, you know, to help supplement an embassy security. And so it's really cool, man, like really cool missions. I mean, we get read on to a couple different things um, and you actually get a chance to meet some really cool individuals from the Department of Defense. You know what I mean? And then, you know, this was wide spectrum of, of, of folks, man. So it's, it was, it was a really cool assignment, man. What's the training like? Um, I think it's six months, man. I, I think, um, it's about a six month pipeline and it goes from soup to nuts, man. So it's driving, it's shooting. Um, you go through, uh, many, uh, escape and evasion course. Um, um, you know, they're teaching you how to be an instructor, you know, like you're working on small unit tactics, you know, you're in the shoot house. I mean, you're preparing for everything. You know, you, you're learning how to do an evacuation. You're learning how to speak to DOD. You're, you're learning how to talk to, you know, some civilians, you know, it's kind of all, all throughout the world, man. It just, it, it's really cool, brother. It, it, it's, you know, I highly encourage it, you know, um, you know, obviously, uh, they look for every everybody, so you don't necessarily have to be like a, a former, you know, uh, SF or SEAL to get in. I mean, obviously, I, I was a Coast Guard officer. Um, definitely wouldn't take anything away from the Coast Guard, but I mean, I mean, they take everybody, man. So the thing is, you just have to be able to put out. So obviously, if you get in, um, if you're not physically fit or if you're not really taking the training serious, then it's probably not, not the right place for you. But it's one of those things where. You're away from home. You know, I think we were deployed maybe 50% of the year, 50 to 75%. And you're with these five dudes or, or it could be, I think there's some lady, uh, some, uh, some female agents too, really great agents. You know what I mean? And you're just, you're going to help support an embassy that's in a real bad way. And not that they have anything, you know, internally, but, you know, they're getting ready to, you know, either have some sort of political unrest or there's some sort of political strife that you need to be there as a force multiplier to help defend our interests. Yeah. You mentioned the instructors earlier and for example, uh, or one of your team members, the med guys, PJs, 18 deltas. Um, and I, I think that's something maybe we haven't talked about enough on the, on the podcast, but the instructors in general for DS for high threat tactical course, or what's called Atlas now, and uh, I imagine some of the similar ones for MSD Green Team. We've had some top-notch guys. Former, Absolutely. you know, uh, I'll say his name, Tony Moffness from back in the day. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, legendary, legendary. Yeah, but dude. like there was another guy. Ken what was Ken's name. Ken was a Delta Delta guy. Um, uh, I think he. I think Tony bought over one of his uh, his teammates. Uh, from from the unit, I, I, I'm not really too sure, but I think uh, 
Rusticio, I think was his name or something like that. Rusty. Well, there's, I know Rusty. Rusty. Well, there's a guy named Rusty, former SF guy. He was on the podcast uh, from the 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 Fast C team. Active agents came on and talked recently, okay. um, and uh, Rusty was there. But this guy Ken, I think it was Ken. He was an older guy, uh, but uh, my understanding he was former Delta, and uh, you know. But you have SF guys, you have uh, uh, you know, eighteen Deltas, PJs, Marines. Uh, you name it, really good instructors for these high threat courses. Absolutely. I think that's one of the things the job does really well. I mean, they recruit and they they retain um, some of the best instructors to teach you some really real world tactics, man. And so that's what MSD did. I mean, because obviously our training is all internal. And so we were kind of more specialized. So we kind of moved away from what the basic agents get, you know, through FASI and everything else. And so they hired their own instructors. And so we got, you know, you know, really some really good cadre of dudes over there from, you know, Sam to Angel to Rick, you know, just to name a few, you know, guys that really, you know, um, were some awesome dudes that really took good care of us and put together some really real world training for us. So big, big, big shout outs to those guys. What places did you hit while you're on MSD? What locations? So I hit Bangui, I hit Juba. Um, Where are those places? I mean, I know, but uh, tell the listeners. Tell the listeners, Africa, man, definitely all throughout Africa. I think we did like a mobile training uh, team, which is basically we go out and teach local guards uh, out to Germany. Um, but I think my team actually, uh, and we also, we hit Yemen too, man. And so that was real cool. And that links back to that other story I was telling you. Um, and so we, we did Yemen, we did a flyaway. Um, and that was really, really, really cool. Um well, tell me that story. Who's who's the guy you ran into? You said you trained him up or you worked with him on ATA? Yeah, so when I was at ATA, we, we trained um, uh, these Yemeni uh, um, candidates, not we, but U.S. government through ATA, trained like 90-something Yemeni candidates to be able to provide uh, protection for the incoming president. Right. So just keep that in the back of your mind. So MSD, I think we got the warning order that, hey, we're going to take uh, the current U.S. ambassador back into Yemen. And so it was, hey, man, this this could go on in the next three months. So start prepping. Right. So I think this was like this was like a Monday. Right. I, I forget the time frame, but this was back, I think, maybe 2014, 2015. And I was like, OK, so I go back, brief my team. Like, hey, look, you know, um. Actually, I was the ATL at the time, so you know, obviously the TL was there. He's he's briefing the team, and he's like, "All right, this will go on maybe three months." Got it. So Tuesday, you know, it's hey, maybe shorter than three months. Thursday it was hey guys, probably about a month. So we're like, what? Friday it was hey, you guys are leaving in like two or three days. Go, you know, make sure you make sure your stuff is packed. Make sure everything you need is ready to go. And then I think Monday or Tuesday, they're like, Hey, you're out tomorrow. And so we go down to Djibouti again, which is in Africa. We go down to Camp Lemonnier. Um, We start making arrangements with the department of defense that's there. Um, And so our job was to be, uh, the personal protection and also to secure the safety in addition with DOD to transport this, you know, current U S ambassador from Djibouti 
back into Yemen. So this is the same time shortly, shortly before all this happened, the U.S. embassy in, in Yemen evacuated. So we don't have like an official presence per se. We have an embassy that's closed. And so everybody's evacuated out. Now the ambassador wants to go back in to engage with uh the current president who was just chased out of Yemen. So imagine, I mean, we're going to help, uh, you know, you know, this is diplomacy. And so what year um, was this? AD? I'm sorry. What What year was this about uh, 14 or 15? Okay. If, if I'm not Sounds mistaken. Right. And so, um, you know, we took him back, you know, got him to his meeting place. And so what was really cool, man, is we puddle jump, dude. Like we went from, you know, Yemen uh, Camp Lemonier. So we went from, we took an Osprey, so I think to the USS New York, hopped off the US New York, which is an aircraft carrier, hopped onto like a little bird, you know, like a, it's like a, a, like a, a Huey, I, I forget, or something like that. And so we, we take this Huey from the USS New York over to Aden, you know, which is like a, like a Gulf Coast city down in Yemen. And we facilitate this meeting. And so, the ambassador's in there doing his thing, you know, high level political stuff. And we're, we're kind of out, you know, talking to his Yemeni protection guys. And so this guy walks in and he has this ATA binder. <laughs> and I'm like, ATA? He's like, ATA, my friend. Look, ATA. I trained through ATA. So in my head, like the light bulb goes off. And I'm like, wow, they kept him safe. You know, like they did what they were trained to do. You know what I mean? So. That to me what was like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like these guys kept him alive and they kept him safe because if the bad guys, you know, who were chasing him, you know, they evacuated him. They, they covered it, covered down on, took him out of harm's way from Yemen, evacuated all of him down to Aden at that time. And so it was cool, man. It was cool to kind of see, you know, the ATA, you know, logo and this guy's like, I'm ATA, look, yeah. look at my coin, you know? So he has all his stuff and I'm, I'm in there. These guys looking at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I'm like, this guy's ATA trained. And they're like, get the, you know, like, shut up, D, like, get out of here. And just for me, that was like, okay, like, you know, the training works. Yeah. So. It's like it came full circle. Yeah. Your, your work came to uh, fruition. And, you know, I, I don't know if we can emphasize enough how much value and appreciation, uh, the local nationals in each country have when we provide them training, whether it be in the yes. U.S. or at, I believe, the ATA facility in, was it Yemen? Uh, not Yemen, uh, Amman. Um, these people just, they love us. They love the U.S., especially when they work for you. They love the U.S. and they're Absolutely. extremely proud of, you know, being a part, being trained by us. It's the training, it's the equipment too, right? So these guys show up and now they've got this high-speed training. You know, they have all these cool tactics, man. And they're doing things that, you know what I mean? That their counterparts like, where did you learn that? You know what I mean? And these guys are like, oh, you know, I've got this cool ATA shirt. I'm ATA, you know? So that becomes like this fraternity of sorts. You know what I mean? So it's cool to see all these guys get back together and, you know, be so proud of their ATA polos or their T-shirts, their coins, challenge coins, or like their binders, man. It was, it's cool. It was cool to see. I mean, that's a cool story, but I think uh, the uh, jumping from Camp Lemonnier to a boat to on a Huey down to Aiden is, uh, you, what other federal agency does something like that, right? 
Doesn't Zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the stuff you don't hear about. These are things that you could write a book about. Or, you know, there's so many things out there that we do, uh, say we, that DS does. Uh, now, Wayne, you're good, bro. You're good, <laughs> Um, that's that's the only thing that I wish the job would do better. I, I know that the job is getting much better at it, and you know, public affairs is definitely pumping it out. But I don't know, man. Like, I, I wish some of these stories you write would get out, and people can see like who else does this? Like DS, like DS does this, and we do it well. You know what I mean? Like, there's certain things that, um, you know, obviously we can always get more training in, but I, the the job is fantastic at doing things like this. This is what we do best. Yep. I mean, someone can listen to these podcasts and take uh, a story from everyone and write a full book and beyond. Um, I met, uh, I was communicating with uh, Mike Evanoff when I was trying to get my book cleared, and uh, and he was great. He would he would respond back to me, and and uh, it ended up getting cleared by state. Um, but he had mentioned, you know, good stuff, positive. Congratulations on the book. I'm trying to get DS's name out there. And I know that was one of the things he was working on. Mm -hmm. At least he told me and I heard from other agents. Um, and he was. I mean, public affairs, I mean, lately, excuse me, they, they've been great as far as pushing out stories, getting pieces out, you know, doing great, you know, like uh, front facing articles on DS. You know what I mean? Like, I, but there's so many, I, I don't know. I You'd almost think that they would have like a, almost like a battalion of people like who could just get out and do this. I know other agencies and uh, we won't name names, but they specialize in this. I mean, granted our folks specialize in it too, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wish we can just, just get more of these great stories out. I've connected with uh, uh, DS public affairs several times through she's Instagram, awesome. the podcast, yep. a couple of them. She's, she's awesome. Yeah. And she'd ping me, she said, can I share your stuff? Or, and I share theirs. And um, I think we're just so far behind uh, you know, the FBI in secret service when it comes to notoriety, you know, they've, they're the big names. They've been around for so long. They have their freaking shows, uh, you know, or NCS, for example, and DS, a smaller agency. Um, we are, uh, part of a foreign service branch, a department, not a Homeland security or justice. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I keep pushing it because I think it's the greatest job in federal law enforcement. I, I think you would agree. Most people. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I mean, just from my stories and the stories I've listened to in your part podcast, I mean, our other brothers and sisters in blue do great work. But I mean, we do some awesome work, too. You know what I mean? Like we do some really cool things, man. Like and I, it'd be cool if you can even get a chance to talk to some, some of the old timers, man, and just talk with them. I mean, they've got some even, you know, crazier stories than that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know, man. I, Send them my way. I, uh, okay. you know, I took a break. I took the last several months. I had the back surgery and issues and, uh, anyway, but I want to get back to it. You're, you're number one of season two. So, uh, you're the first, Appreciate first it. person of on season two. And, and, uh, I plan on having, uh, you know, some more DS agents. Uh, I have a U.S. attorney lined up that worked a couple cases with DS with me in particular. Nice. DEA awesome. that worked with DS. So we'll kind of broaden uh, our horizons just because you know can't get all DS agents all the time. I'd like to, but uh, you know, some people, most people I've asked have come on. There are others that uh, that say, oh, you know, let me think about it. They're really polite about it. They, they just don't know because it's so brand new, and yeah. you know, they probably know. Uh, of me and they say 
this guy just curses up a storm all day and no brother i i think it's you know like people are definitely kind of cautious you know because it could be one of those things where you could say one word and that one word can throw your whole career into a tailspin. They go back, wait a minute, but you said this. And that means, whoa, you know? Yeah, that's true. Nobody wants to be active duty. You know the deal, brother. Nobody yeah, no. wants to be active agents are hard job. for sure. No. And I appreciate the active agents to come on. You're uh number four. I think uh former agents a little easier, you know, uh, retired agents a little easier, but anyway, we got off topic there. So uh, what happened after MSD? Um, I went, to, I went to learn Portuguese. I was headed out to be the ARSOI in Sao Paulo, Brazil. So, um, yeah. sounds like a hard spot. Yeah, man, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was cool, man. Like, you know, I think for me, the hardest thing was, uh, getting through our foreign service Institute Portuguese. Yeah. You know, cause I guess their job is defensive too, right? Cause they want you to be able to speak Portuguese fluently enough to defend yourself and to not get into like, you know, these proverbial traps, you know, because if you could, let's say you're doing an interview and you say conjugate the, the, the wrong verb or you say the wrong thing and people looking at you like, whoa, you know, so, um, you know, really great training for some really great instructors. Um, you know, I, I was able to pass, you know, by the good Lord's graces. And I did three years, at, you know, from 2017 to 2020 down in Brazil. Were you an I down there? I was. Okay. I was. So that must have been yep. pretty fun. Absolutely, dude. That was, I think, between MSD and being an I, those are my two best gigs. Working in good cases? A uh, couple good cases, but I think it was it was the training. It was the training. It was the interaction. It was the setting up meetings. Um, I mean, you name it, man. Cases, I mean, it, it would stem from like... Uh, uh, like human traffickers, you know, were, were there, man. There's a certain like CT element floating around. Um, and I think that's about all I can say with, with that. Um, and there's a little bit of everything down there, man. Like there were, the thing that I found most frustrating is that we had some child molester cases and, you know, Brazil law, they will not extradite their citizens to another country. And so some of these, um, uh, I'm trying to figure out the, the, the politically correct term for, the, for these these uh, child molesters. I, yeah, we'll just say child molesters. I, I don't want to call them what I really want to call them. But pedophiles, these, uh, I'll call them. Pedophiles, these lower-than-dirt folks, you know what I mean, yeah. um, who are convicted, who are convicted by U.S. court fled. And so, you know, our cops would like, yo, we got them. They're here. Um, you know, try to work to get them extradited. And that was just, it was, it was a long process. It was a really long process. Well, the extradite? The uh, Americans, or was it uh, was it mostly Americans that were pedophiles that fled to Brazil, or was Brazilians that were in the U.S. or that committed it? These were Brazilians that became Americans that went to the U.S. Excuse me, that came back to Brazil. Okay, so, but they're still Correct. Brazilian. Right? Yep. So they're like, "Hey, here's my Brazilian passport." Brazil, like, "Hey, he's a Brazilian citizen. We're not going to extradite." Just like similar in the U.S., um, where I don't think we would extradite one of our citizens back to another country to stand trial. But we would try to coordinate to say, all right, look, if you give us the information, that's that's what that that's what our and the Brazilian counterparts would say. Hey, just give us information and we'll try them here. But that always isn't the case. You know, obviously we want to be able to see this person stand trial and and and, and you know, obviously, you know, pay for their crimes in the US and then we can send them back. But um I think that to me was the most frustrating thing. Did you take your family out there? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you willing to talk a little bit about uh, family life and, and the, some of the challenges you face and good things, sure. bad things, schools? I, I have a lot of questions about that. I don't ask that a lot on the podcast, but since you and I are tight, I thought uh, yeah, yeah, you absolutely. Know, we could talk about it because it, it is an informational podcast and people do want to join and they do have families and they have questions. It's great, man. I mean, it's, I, and again, um, really thankful for the department and for DS for, you know, sending me there. Um, you know, housing is, is phenomenal. I mean, I think we stayed in like a high rise on these beautiful apartments. You know, I think there was like a pool, there was like a gym. And again, not every single apartment is like this, just the apartment that we had because I had three kids, you know, three kids. And so with that, they have to give you a bigger spot, basically a room for each kid. Um, and so that's what we got in our housing. I mean, other places had like supermarkets, shopping, you know, you know, downstairs or whatever, what have you. So each building that you, you could be assigned to had different traits or different things. And so as far as kids, man, our, our kids went to the American International School there in Sao Paulo. I mean, great teachers, great activities, you know, things like that. You know, um, they made some really good friends. They would have play dates and stuff like that. And, you know, um, I guess... It was great. I mean, the only, only, only kind of, I say, I, I can't call it bad, but the only challenge was for us is that we would go to some of these parties. I mean, granted, our kids are in school with some of the, you know, very affluent families within Sao Paulo, you know, and so you go to these parties and these things would be lavishly decked out. I mean, like, and have like a wall full of candy, like a wall full of cakes and, things and you know our, your kids are like dad i want this and you're like ah <laughs> i don't know if i can afford that you know what i mean but it, it, it's cool man because they can kind of see like hey it's a different lifestyle you know our, our kids picked up the language you know um you know like was that their know, first uh overseas assignment ad your absolutely kids? yeah absolutely yeah the first overseas assignment with me and so you know, they were able to travel, you know, it was really cool. Um, there was a bus service that would pick them up and drop them off. You know, um, my wife, you know, she, she worked out of the house, so she was able to catch them as they would come. You know, I would drop them off in the morning and she would catch them when they would come in and which allowed me to kind of focus on work. And so with that, I mean, at times I would travel. I, I think I covered three different states, three or four different states, you know, where my area of responsibility, I think I covered Sao Paulo. Uh, Rio Grande, uh, um, Mato Grosso, uh, and Paraná. So we covered all these three d different states within Brazil, pretty large. And so our job was to go out, you know, uh, you know, meet our local contacts, you know, uh, coordinate with them, try to you know coordinate cases, see if they had cases or requests that they wanted us to farm out to other you know federal agencies if we couldn't do it, you know, and then train, you know, obviously. You know, we train them on different passport fraud techniques, how to spot imposters, and we would train the different airlines. You know, hey, look, these are you know passport fraud features. You know, these are you know features for you know imposters and things like that. So we set up these robust training programs, and we would train airlines and you know cops, you know federal, you know local, state cops. You know what I mean? It's just it was great. It was, it was again, I think probably one of between that and MSD, man, that, to be the face of the U.S. government to these Brazilians to say, wow, here's this agent. You know what I mean? Like he's, you know, talking to us, he's training, he's speaking my language. He has, you know, a, a local, 
you know, our, our CFIs, our criminal fraud investigators, which, you know, are the are the lifeblood of the program. You know, I think we had three of the best who are still there, you know, who are phenomenal. I mean, these guys, you know, kept the program running. So and, and will, you know, for the foreseeable future. And so. Um, but I would say one of the biggest challenges there was, uh, I guess, the branding, you know, like we would go out, Cody and you know, one of our former CFIs who, who left, uh, retired, she got us these big banners. And so we would have like these eight foot tall banners, you know, DSS, you know, big badge, big, big, big everything. And, you know, in our presentations, we was like, Hey, we're DSS and, you know, we're department of state, you know, we work with, you know, all the other federal agencies, you know, we work with blah, 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 X, Y, and Z, you know, but we're here, we're your conduit, you know, we do this, right? So, and then we give them bottles or coins. And and the reason we'd give them bottles and coins, because obviously they would have our numbers on it and this is something they would always have. And so it's for visual, uh, you know, uh, representation. And then if they had a water bottle, they could look and see our email address, like, yo, I remember this guy, you know, here's the email address, here's his phone number. And then I, I can't tell you all the leads and all the all the requests for assistance that we got from these things. But again, w- one of the biggest problems that we faced was at the end of these meetings, right? Guy would come up and be like, hey, man, your great presentation. Loved it. Thanks for the certificate. So how long you been with Agency X? You know, we're like, well, wait a minute. I just told you I'm with DSS. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't work for these guys i work for them and you could see like the whites of their eyes they'd be like what what do you mean you don't work for blank you're like no man i work for diplomatic security they'd be like huh you know what i mean so (laughs) it was tough man i mean but again our job was okay understood and we just kind of ramped it up like okay we work for blank blank you know just you know and then we would you know ask some questions and we would find more ways to help, you know, spread who we are, you know, so we would go to, you know, wherever we could just to kind of help spread the name. Yeah. Overseas, you know, this, this happened, especially in Vietnam for me, but they relate everything to what they see on television. Hollywood. Absolutely. So if there's not a show that's DSS, then your NCIS or your FBI, or your secret service, you name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're not sitting on the internet looking up the secret service, right? They see it. It's Hollywood. It's, yep. it's uh, Hawaii Five O. You know. Yeah. Uh, so and and there are times where I just played it up like, yeah, you know what? Similar to that. That's the best way to explain it because you don't know. Yeah, not, I agree. Not similar agree. to what happens on the big screen, but yeah, similar yeah. to that agency. Uh, and, uh, and, but we, we have, we, the agency is so unique. DS is so unique with, has a combination of the protection, the investigation, security management, the, right. the high threat protection now, and mm-hmm. all of our work overseas at, at, uh, you know, diplomatic facilities, uh, uh, you know, just, it's just unique. It's all there is to it. I agree, dude. I think one of the other questions that kept coming up was like, oh, like Fast and Furious. And you're like, uh, sort of. Yeah. You know, like same agency. We just like same agency. But <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're not going to walk into a country like here, you know, like stay out of my face. Just get, you know what I mean? Like it would be a little bit more diplomatic. But I mean, just like yeah, Fast and Furious every day. Just like the Fast <laughs> now, but we'd say similar, similar, same agency, but, you know, not, not, you know. Obviously, we're not going to come blow your town up. You know, we're just looking for bad guys and, you know, looking to work hard. So, <laughs> yeah, I alluded to the uh, Fast and Furious in my book. And it, was, uh, it, was, it was as a joke kind of when I wrote it. 
Um, but it, but uh, but yeah, people relate to. Oh, okay. Well, I've heard of DSS, and so now you're like The Rock, and yeah, right. So yeah, every every all two thousand of us are exactly like The Rock walking around, chiseled, right? Jacked, like looking biceps. like fantabulous, right? Yeah. Like you know, like destroying cities and jumping on from vehicle to vehicle while they're moving. But we say, them. listen, that's all movies for theater, you know, uh, theatrics, and not that they would actually do that fast and furious, but just it's it, it's a movie, and so we say. You know, it's a movie. It's it's built to kind of keep you, you know, clued in. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, I mean, we, we would, you know, say yeah, like that, something like that. <laughs> what? Uh, all right. So you spent three years there. In um, if I count correctly, you're here now. You are yes, sir. studying French. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm headed to be the RSO um, regional security officer in Bangui. Okay. No, I'm I'm headed back. As you mentioned earlier, Bangui is in Africa. That's West Africa. Uh, Central Africa. Central Africa. The Central African Republic. And so, when I was on MSD, we actually helped open up the embassy there in Bangui. So, so yeah, and I think they back. had a uh, they had a rotation of TDYers going through for years. It seemed it seemed like years. They did, they did man. Yeah. They did, and they just had some uh, presidential elections. And so, you know, I'm look, looking forward to it. Actually, I thought I knew a guy in Bengi, but he's in Juba. Um, so anyway, he's a contractor, whips guy on Juba. But well, cool, man. Um, so let's. Uh, well, we hit all your posts. You got anything? Anything in particular you want to say? No, just uh, you know, thanks. You know, thanks to the job. You know, public affairs for clearing me, getting getting me on here. You know, thank you for for your time. Um, you know, it's been a great, great time within the job. Had a lot of great experiences. Work with a lot of great men and women. You know, on our job and other different agencies. You know, I, I just, you know, anything we can do to try to get the name out. And thank you too, brother, for you know taking your time and putting this podcast together and well, getting our name out in a positive light. So you know, enjoy my time in. Uh, I think you're a fantastic representative, of course, uh, and an awesome human. You're my boy. And uh, you know, and I appreciate we, and, and you coming. And we go back to and we go back to Nassau days, back man. Nassau, <laughs> where we used to ball. I tried to remember that. We played a lot of ball back then. We did, man. You remember that tournament we actually put together, man? We actually put together a basketball tournament. We donated those proceeds uh, to the cops for a charity, man. Yep. I think that that was pretty cool. Yeah, we got to do some fun stuff, man. We had a good crew. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this then. Let's end with this. Uh, a lot of people that listen to the podcast, you guys, some people are just interested in in the job and what we do and, you know, foreign affairs and law enforcement. Uh, but a significant amount are following me um, for uh, to become DS agents. What kind of advice do you have? Not necessarily specific to, um, you know, getting on the job, but just what could make you successful? What will make you success successful as a DS agent? type of traits for example um I, I think just you know mouth closed ears open you know i think as, as a brand new agent coming in you know, just close your mouth i mean yes i get it you may be the greatest whatever but now you're starting from square one as a basic agent you know and so you may not necessarily know what's going on um and and necess- not necessarily, you know, uh, close your mouth when there's another agent who has maybe six more months ahead of you, you know, giving you the advice. But, you know, talk to some of the, the other agents, you know, 
around, you know, get a mentor, you know, just ask questions, you know, ask questions, figure out what you need to do, you know, you know, um, volunteer for those tough assignments, you know, get out there, you know, support your family, you know, just, it, it, it's, <clears throat> it's a great job. It's super re- rewarding. I mean, the skills that you develop, the lifelong friendships, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, this is where you want to be. You know, I, I'm not going to badmouth or, or talk about anybody else, but I'm, I'm glad I'm here. I'm very fortunate, um, you know, meeting good brothers like you and a few other folks that I've worked with and trained with, man, like this is the pinnacle of federal law enforcement, period. Yeah. This is where you want to be. This will let you go out and do all the cool things and then some because, you know, a lot of our counterparts are, are working hard, working kind of sp- really doing specific things. And I have other counterparts that kind of work the broad spectrum, but we are you know, masters at our craft in these in these three things, you know, uh, people, property, protecting people, property information, you know, high threat protection and austere environments, you know, investigations, you know, into passport and visa fraud and you know, inter, you know, interagency team building. I mean, we do that. We do that well. Yeah. Well said. I would agree. Well, my friend, I need to thank you and I'll thank DS public affairs for allowing you to come on. You are an active special agent. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a little harder to get you guys on, but I know people listeners and certainly I appreciate it. So thank you, my friend. Sit tight. I'm going to hit the stop button here, Thanks. and then we'll keep chatting. All right, buddy. Real quick, hey, thank you, DS Public Affairs. Thank you very much. That is Adrian Diaz, folks. AD, thank you for coming on. Liberty Risk Apparel is our sponsor. That's Liberty Risk with Q-R-I-S-Q. You can find them at Liberty Risk with a Q.com. Many of you know I am promoting a book. It's called Agents Unknown, True Stories of Life as a Special Agent in the Diplomatic Security Service. It is sold on Amazon, where it has 146 reviews or so. That's pretty good. Uh, mostly are five-star reviews, and I appreciate that. You can get it on Amazon, or you can get it on my website, CodyPeron.com, where it'll cost you about the same with shipping. And I will add in a sticker or a patch. I don't know. Maybe I'm feeling a little froggy, and I'll... You know, stick in a patch and a sticker. So uh, you can get it at CodyPeron.com. Also at CodyPeron.com is uh, uh, a couple shirts, a a hoodie, and you can find patches there, patches and stickers actually there as well. So check it out. Um, For those of you that are interested in DS, I have a couple of items for you. Number one, you can find me on YouTube. Cody, just search Cody Peron, P-E-R-R-O-N. Or you can join a, a Becoming a DSS Agent Facebook group. Um, just fill out the details uh, that you're interested in becoming a DSS agent or you're interested in learning more about DSS agents. And I will uh, approve you in the group and you can ask all the questions that you like. Uh, active duty special agents, former special agents are in there. People that are interested, people that are just joining our basic, basic special agent course are in there. So uh, feel free to join. Feel free to send a link. I will approve those of you that fill out uh, the application or not application, the questions, you know, and uh, and we'll take care of you. So anyway, thank you all for supporting the podcast. Thank you all for being great Americans. I appreciate it. And I will catch you on the backside. Thanks, y'all. Out.